you're never going to have supply and demand lineup. So you're going to have a month where you overproduce and you have to dispose or you have to sell it at a terrible margin. That is going to happen. You want to build something really strong because there will be a storm. There always is. Welcome to the Startup CPG podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Freitag. What's it like to build on a new section at the grocery store? We saw Perfect Bar create a refrigerated bar section, so why not a refrigerated, delicious, easy squeezy sauce section? That's what Haven's Kitchen is bringing to a store near you. Fresh sauces that help home cooks feel like a champion in their own kitchen. I became a Haven's Kitchen fan through our startup CPG partner, Social Nature, and can attest that it's leveled up my home cooking significantly and even inspired me to cook more and feel more confident prepping food at home that isn't bland. Thank you, chimichurri sauce. I'm so excited that today we're joined by the delightful founder and CEO of Haven's Kitchen, Allison Kane, who you may also know from her podcast, In the Sauce. Listen in to hear from Allie, how Haven's Kitchen got started and where they are now, which includes being in Whole Foods, Sprouts, and Target, important lessons from their early days of just a few employees when they now have over 10 employees, what it's been like to launch at Target and the difference between a Target and Natural Channel store launch, how they used social nature to drive trial during the pandemic and why they aren't going back to traditional demos, Ali's framework for tough decisions as a founder, and more. Before we hear from Ali, I want to share more info about Mondelez International's Snack Futures collab program because applications are still open right now. Another awesome Ali that we've had on the show, Ali Bonner from Oat House, is a collab program alum. Oat House makes delicious granola butters. Shout out to Brownie Batter for changing my life. And here's how Allie found community during her time in CoLab. So many good conversations with other founders. I personally felt less alone in all of my struggles. It was so nice to talk to other people that are also going through the same things we're going through. For the 2023 CoLab cohort, Mondelez International is looking for startup snack brands who are delicious and disruptive, have won the attention of retailers and consumers, and have at least $1 million in annual revenue. Last cohort, three brands selected for the program were from our Startup CPG community, so this could be you. To hear more from Allie at Oat House, check out episode number 59. And to learn more about CoLab after this episode, head to Apply CoLab, that's applycolab.com, to complete the application to be part of this year's CoLab cohort or grab the link in the show notes. Now let's hear from Allie Kane all about Haven's Kitchen. Well, hi, Allie. Welcome to the show today. How are you? Well, hi, Jesse. I am really happy to be talking to you and thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is this is so great. And, you know, just got to talk to you last week on recording for your show. So it's so fun when I get to have kind of back to back conversations with someone and yeah. I'm a fan of Haven's Kitchen. And so just really excited to dive in more today and would love if you could kind of start us off with just a little bit of description of the Haven's Kitchen products and flavors. I love hearing founders describe their own flavors because <laughs> just the, you know, the passion and the love behind it comes through. So love if you could just kind of give us a little overview. Well, thank you for the fan part. Um, you know, that's basically what like keeps us all going because otherwise we'd crawl under things and stay there. But um, the flavors, yeah, I mean, the product is a squeezy sauce in a pouch. It is um, fresh. And basically, you know, we had a cooking school for eight years and taught the majority of these sauces to our students. So they're pretty much exactly like what you would make at home, except we use pressure to um, pasteurize them. So they have a longer shelf life than like what you would make at home. So that's the product. They come in a squeezy pouch and they're in the fresh section of your grocery store. Um, the winner skew at the moment is a chimichurri. We tried to stay as authentic as we could to sort of an Argentinian, Uruguayan um, sauce that is um, a base of olive oil. It's cut with a little sunflower or avocado so it doesn't get too you know thick and hard on the shelf with oregano and parsley, a little bit of caper 
a little bit of red um, pepper flake um, and a hit of vinegar. And so it's, you know, it's, it's kind of herby and it also has um, a little like a touch of heat and the capers make it a little briny. So it's really, really delicious. It's traditionally used on grilled meat, but we love it on everything from, you know, a salad to pasta, you know, to grilled tofu to shrimp, you know, pretty much anything. Um, Super delicious. The next one is our gingery miso sauce, which is sort of a play on what I would make my kids all the, you know, when they were growing up, it was their favorite of my sauces, essentially. And I would whisk um, miso with some mirin and some toasted sesame oil um, and a little bit of ginger into sort of a, you know, dressing dip marinade type of thing. You can use it to saute, you can use it to roast salmon. Um, People also use it on noodles and things like that. It's basically um, a hodgepodge that, you know, the home cook would have to buy about seven different bottles and, you know, a tub of miso and it would sit in, you know, your refrigerator for 12 months or whatever. So all of our sauces are either saving you time or saving you prep, you know, work essentially. I love that. Yeah. Then we have a golden tahini which again, you know, people can make tahini at home. And I have a cookbook that teaches you how to make a tahini sauce, but you know, you're whisking together the tahini paste and the lemon and a little bit of salt and, you know, some water. And you, it's just, these things are a little daunting for home cooks. So here we are, you know, we did it all for you. We added a little turmeric for a beautiful golden color, but also for the functional benefits. And because the sauces are high pressure pasteurized and not boiled, you get actually all of the micronutrients from all of the ingredients. So the ginger and the turmeric and the cinnamon and the chili flake and all of it, um, we're not killing any nutrients because we're not boiling. Um, We have an edamame green goddess, which is our answer to green goddess dressing because all of our sauces are keto and gluten-free and dairy-free and vegan, obviously. We have a red pepper romesco, which is a traditional Spanish dipping sauce. Um, We have a really delicious coconut cashew sauce that's, um, again, really hard for home cooks to get those sort of Southeast Asian flavors of ginger and lemongrass and macroot lime leaf. You know, you'd have to go to a specialty store for that. Instead, we kind of blend it all together in a base of coconut milk and cashews. Um, think we also have a barbecue, <laughs> but um, yes. that's it. The, our, our sort of thing with the barbecue is like, there's no added sugar, just like any mm-hmm. of our other sauces. So we sweeten all of our sauces with dates or plums or apricots um, instead of any kind of cane sugar, certainly no artificial sweeteners because we sell them in these pouches and we sell them, you know, they're like five ounce pouches. We're not adding a lot of water to anything. And that means that we don't have to add salt to kind of like bring out the flavor. So they're really, um, I don't know. It's like with, um, you know, the, the, um, the laundress, how they sort of introduced concentrated mm-hmm. cleaning liquids into the world. And they had to really educate people like you don't need, you need a cap full of this, not a cup full of mm-hmm. this. That's kind of how our sauces are. Like they're, they're so packed with flavor and we haven't added anything to, stretch them essentially, um, that a little goes a really long way. Um, so I think that's the lineup right now. If I forgot one of them, I'll apologize to them (laughs) later. (laughs) Forgetting like one of the children. I know they're like my little Teletubby (laughs) friends, you know, and I'm like, she's, you know, we had to discontinue one like earlier this year. And I was like, you know, sad. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, she's great. She's just, you know, she, she just doesn't have enough distribution, but you know, it's not her, <laughs> it's us. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, now, now I'm gonna, if there's a, a rumbling sound, it's probably my stomach rumbling after hearing you describe <laughs> all the, the sauces. Uh, Cause I'm, I'm still experimenting with all the different flavors, but I, I have to say one of my favorites for sure is the golden turmeric tahini yeah. is, uh, is just so good. So yeah, yeah I, I love how versatile, um, versatile they are. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, thank you. It's, it's, you know, I think, you know, we talked about this, but I I ran a cooking school for eight years. I've been teaching cooking for 25 years. Um, And I think that, you know, the supermarket has everything in a very 
organized way for the supermarket, but not necessarily for the home cook. And so, you know, this was, okay, the home cook doesn't only use things in the marinade section to marinate. They use dressings to marinate and they use sauces on their pizza and they use, you know, dressings on their, what everyone kind of, you know, you, you play around with these things in different ways that make sense for you. Um, and my question was like, does it have to be, does it have to be a marinade? Can it be a marinade and a dressing and a simmer sauce and, you know, a grill sauce? Like, can it be all of these things? And so the goal really for all of them is that you can use them all for anything on anything. It's just about what you feel like, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that can be challenging in a couple of different ways, but it's also, I think one of our, you know, one of our strong suits. Yeah, for sure. And so I'd love, I definitely want to dig into kind of some of the early days of once you, once you started making the different Havens Kitchens products, but I'd also love if you could kind of tell us a little bit about the stage you're at right now, just kind of for comparison, Mm -hmm. as far as, you know, how many stores are you in? What are kind of the major retailers? And then kind of what are the the scaling or or challenges that are kind of top of you uh, mind for you right now? And then we'll kind of go back in time a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think it all, it's, it's good to do that way because it, you know, I was doing a puzzle with my kids um, the other night and my older son did a time-lapse of it. And it was like, you know, you had all of us kind of doing it and then you would see like times where nothing was happening. And then times when like this whole flower got filled in and then someone would step away from the table and someone would come back in. And I just was like, this is, this is such an interesting way to think about it. And that's, that's kind of like building any business, you know, it's basically like you you're doing this puzzle and you can sort of see where you're trying to go with it, but sometimes you get pieces wrong or sometimes you just need to take a break and like go have a drink of water, you know? And, and when you do it in time-lapse, it all looks like it comes together really quickly and easily, but nothing comes together quickly and easily. Um, and so where we are now is, uh, I think we're in a, about 2000 doors. Um, it's hard to know exactly on any given day, but you know, the bulk of our business is with, um, national whole foods. We're in about 650 targets. We're in a region of Albertsons. We're national with sprouts. Um, we have a bunch of other sort of, you know, giant banners, um, and earth fair banners and high V banners and stuff like that. But that's the bulk of the business. And so, you know, for people in the industry, UNFI is by far and away our biggest customer um, with Target and the distributor who does some of the Target work, which is CNS as number two and Kehi is in there now too. Um, and you know, getting here was interesting for sure. And there's, (laughs) to answer your question, like what's top of mind for the next step? I mean, you know, it's like, there's a lot. Um, But, you know, it, it basically... We had these sauces in our refrigerator at the cooking school um, as kind of things that people could take home. Usually, you know, people would kind of say, our students would say, like, I I love learning this, but I'm just not going to roast three different kinds of peppers. And I don't want to take out my Cuisinart or I don't have a Cuisinart or I don't, you know, I could make the chimichurri, but I don't want to mince things because they always come out different sizes. So can you just make this stuff for us? Um, and so we started making it and I think a couple things happened in my head. One was, you know, a lot of our students were subscribing to meal kits and then really quickly unsubscribing, mostly because they just weren't scratching the itch of helping them feel more confident in the kitchen. And that has always been my MO. Like, That's why I started teaching in college and kept teaching forever and went to get a master's and all of that because um, I just, I think making food and connecting with food is, you know, it's just good for you. It's good for your community. It's good for the environment. It's good for farm labor practices. It's just good. Um, And you're only going to do something that's good if it feels good not if it's like a chore. And so I've just always been wanting to help people not feel like cooking is a chore. And these sauces were an answer to that. And it also felt like there was a market for them. Um, And it also felt like it was time in the sauce condiment dressing marinade, you know, $25 billion total market to have some real innovation, not just, you know, 
a different kind of ranch, but like real flavor innovation. And why does it need to be in a bottle or a jar when that's not as good environmentally as, you know, flexible pouches are. So I had a hunch. I did some research just on my computer and like getting Mintel reports from my kids who were in college and um, went to the fancy food show in 2017 with some, you know, three sauces that are in my cookbook that were our bestsellers, you know, in the in the cooking school in pouches um, with a label slapped on them that we kind of made. And fortunately for us, Whole Foods and Fresh Direct were both really interested interested. They happened to be keeping an eye on refrigerated condiments, which of course I didn't even know was a thing back then. So I, it was a combination of, I think us having something that really tasted good. It was differentiated. We had a nice story because we really understood home cooking and they were looking for innovation in that category. And at what stage in there did you kind of start in the sauce? I think it was really early, like a couple months after your second purchase order or something, right? Like really early stage. Yeah. I mean, basically, you know, Whole Foods and Fresh Direct were like, okay, you know, we can get you on the shelf. Like, what's the pricing? Who's your distributor? How are you? You know, what's the shelf life testing? All of those questions that are like, oh, wait, what? You know, I thought I could just like roll up with a cooler. And they were like, nope, that's not how it works. Um, So it took us from like June of 2017 to March of 2018 to really sort of semi, you know, professionalize it. So we got ourselves into an incubator kitchen and we got a distributor and we figured out corrugate and, you know, we figured out shelf life and, you know, how were we getting it from the, you know, the incubator kitchen to the HPP and all of that. Um, and so we had our first purchase order in March of 2018 and then 48 hours later got another one for four times the, the amount. And that is <laughs> yeah. a story where I cried and I had an advisor at the time who had worked at Sir Kensington's and basically he was like, so remember supply and demand from college or like econ or I don't know, seventh grade, like whenever you took math, like remember that concept? And I was like, uh-huh. He's like, so for the rest of the life of your business, supply and demand are never, ever going to match up. Either you're going to have more, you know, make more than you have demand for, or you're not going to make enough for what you do have demand for. And basically your job from now on is mitigating the pain on either end of that. And that stuck with me forever because I think it's a really good lesson. But also I was like, how come other founders, how come no one knows? Like, does everyone know this? And he was like, you know, and I was like, I need, I need people like you to help other people like me. And I'm going to just record this and, you know, make it accessible because I'm really lucky that I got to talk to you. But what about all the me's out there that don't get to talk to the you's? Like, how do we, how do we do this without people who help us? And I had had an urban agriculture podcast on Heritage Radio Network. And I basically was like, can I not do the urban ag thing anymore? But can I do this like business thing? And they were like, okay. Mm. And so the first one was in May of 2018. And I've done 168 interviews since then. And now it's got like 130,000 downloads and like a thousand downloads a week. And I've never really publicized it because it's so industry inside baseball. Like I can't imagine that it would be a popular thing in the world, but I think it's been pretty helpful from what I hear. Yeah. No, I love that. And I hope I'll definitely include a link, you know, link to to the show and the show notes because I think that you know, it's it's similar stories to Daniel starting the Startup CBG podcast of just wanting to make this kind of industry insider knowledge more available yeah. to to everyone and to brands that don't have access to, you know, to kind of different gatekeepers or, you know, just these things can really help you grow. So definitely would love for, you know, for our listeners to go and listen to your show. I love listening to In The Sauce. And so that's so that's so cool. And I'd yeah, love if you could kind of you know, in the, in the early stage. So, you know, thinking about like our startup CBG brands, you know, most of them have, you know, one to five employees. I Mm -hmm. believe you have a little, they have, you know, 10, around 10, 11 right now. Okay, great. And, you know, what were some of those important moments of, so you, you started the podcast, you're realizing that, you know, that you needed, there was kind of, the industry was complicated. Were, were there other stories from those, those key, you know, those kind of early days 
that you would, you know, want to share with kind of our, our, you know, our community that are kind of in that stage right now that maybe you, you wish you'd heard stories like, I guess. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, the job of the founder is basically, I am not a sailor, but I always use this analogy. You're basically sailing a boat. You know, if you let the sail out too far, you start to like luft around, I think is the word. But if you're holding it in too tight, you're not going to catch any wind, right? So you're constantly letting it out and pulling it in and letting it out and pulling it in and you're going to get so much advice. I I had two investor calls today, almost completely diametrically opposed to each other. One was like, it's all about marketing, all about marketing, brand, awareness, awareness. And the other guy was like, there's no point in building awareness unless you have ACV, focus everything on sales, everything, everything, everything on doors, 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 velocity, 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 right? And there's truth to what they're both saying. Um, But your job is to just gather information, ideally from people who have some experience, because there are certainly a lot of people who are willing to offer their opinions who really shouldn't. Um, Some of them have given you money, so you have to, you know, listen, but you don't have to actually do much with it. Um, And, you know, you're basically trying to figure things out on a day-to-day basis. You know, there have been times in this organization where I was like, we need someone who's going to like organize everything. I need a project manager because it's not my strong suit. And then there are times where I'm like, all right, I don't need so much management. I need someone to go out and sell, you know, or I need more admin support or I need more marketing support. And everything is just a little bit of, you know, you're trying to move this this boulder up a hill. And at the beginning, it's a bunch of people being like, all right, ha- okay, how are we going to do this? Like, I'm willing to do everything. And you hire a lot of Swiss Army knives. And then as the organization gets you know, more mature, you end up hiring more specialists. And at some point, um, you hire people who have done it in some capacity, who can just layer on experiences from what they have done to your company. But if you try to hire someone from a super high level, you know, someone who's worked at General Mills for 12 years is not going to know how to layer on her experience to your startup with three people. They just haven't gotten that kind of training. There needs to be a step in between because there, there's all these things that need to get established before they can really come in and do their thing. It's like, you know, we went to Expo West in 2019 and we didn't have distribution anywhere except the Northeast. So, you know, you can make the argument, was it good for the brand? Did we, you know, we won this award and, you know, we got our name out there and we sort of staked our territory and we created momentum. But, you know, that was what, $25,000 that resulted in no sales, really, because we even the the stores that wanted us, we couldn't get to because we didn't have any UNFI DCs open out there. And it wasn't until the following year when we went global with Whole Foods where we did. So, Everything is just this constant trade-off and you're building your team. And unfortunately, you know, people either grow into the position that you need or you find someone else who is that position and, you know, they're not aligned anymore. And if they're not aligned for the organization, then the organization really isn't aligned for them either. And learning how to hire and learning how to fire, unfortunately, um, is just a is just a necessary part of, you know, building something from scratch that didn't exist before. Oh, yeah. And when you were making some of those, like, key first hires, Mm -hmm. you know, and I I noticed, you know, I saw an article recently where you kind of showed a little more of kind of the org chart of your team. And it looks like, you know, a lot of your team's in marketing. And, you know, and so, you know, how did you kind of think about hiring those first people? Because again, like you said, people are giving you advice all over the place. You you have to have a finance person. You got to have a salesperson. You got to have this. So, you know, how did you kind of navigate like, okay, who am I going to hire first or who am I going to hire next? And what did some of those, you know, that look like? Yeah. I mean, this is, this really depends on what you're building. So, you know, and it's funny because when I did that 1-800 D2C interview, I I prefaced my org chart with like, we have a turnkey co-packer, which means that our operations team can be fairly lean because we're not doing our own procurement. Right. And we can outsource whoever is doing freight and we can outsource some of warehousing and fulfillment. So really what I need you know, is someone to manage that co-packer really effectively, 
someone who, you know, can keep sort of an eye on all the kids in the pool. Like how is the demand plan and what's happening in the world of freight? And are we making sure that, you know, instead of seven small UNFI orders a month, we're doing two big ones because every time something goes on a truck, especially if it's in less than a pallet, that dings us, you know, do we need to reformulate anything? Are there any, you know, sunflower oils of the world where we're at risk of not being able to get an ingredient? So there's like, depending if you're self-manufacturing, your operations team is a completely different size yes. and scope yeah. than ours is, yep. right? Similarly, you know, because we have so much consumer education to do, why are we in the refrigerated section? Why is it in a, in a pouch? What is tahini? What is chimichurri? You know, we're changing so many things that the consumer and the grocery store are not used to that we need a lot of people telling that story in an effective way in many different channels, you know, across different marketing, you know, places, right? So we need a really good email. We need a really strong SMS so that we can just be like a cooking resource and sending out tips and tricks for not only how to use our sauce, but like how to cook chicken that isn't, you know, overcooked or that, you know, people, everyone in the world is scared of like undercooking their chicken and like killing (laughs) someone, you know, like how do do we take that stress away from people? Because that's what we want to be in people's home kitchens, right? Like we want to be their like secret weapon and that's beyond just the product. So that requires you know, someone doing content, someone doing graphics, someone doing Clavio, you know, someone doing social. So that's why our marketing team looks heavy. And then sales really until you're, you know, really a certain size and have the the distribution capabilities, you don't need a big built out sales team. You can outsource a lot of that, but at some point you need someone in-house who is, you know, owning it, who isn't working for several other brands. So that we brought in-house. And finance to me is like, if you can find a really good external finance team, and thank goodness we have one, um, that to me is the last thing that you bring in because it, it, you know, that's a, that's an expensive team. They're like, Mm -hmm. they tend to be like highly educated and they bring in, you know, they're, they're an expensive team to hire and it shouldn't be that complicated. You know, even us with, you know, two, you know, 2000 stores, we only have what, six customers, five customers, you know, because, because we work with distributors, you know, it's not that complex. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think, you know, early on and, and, you know, you got to know what you're good at. You know, there are founders out there who are really good at Excel and and they're really good at, you know, the ops side of things. And then they need to hire someone who's thinking about, you know, brand story and and sales and, you know, innovation. Um, most founders I know are kind of more like me where the Excel makes them a little bit bummed out. <laughs> and in that case, you need someone who's like, who's good at that or who can help you figure out a margin on something. And so early on, I hired two people. It was actually my buyer from Fresh Direct and then her boss. (laughs) They both came over to Havens. Yeah. Um, Which was incredibly helpful because they they were obviously on the other side of the desk for, you know, five or eight years. Um, My, you know, that second hire, they had actually done private label like sort of product innovation for Fresh Direct. So they did have ops experience. And so I got really lucky with my first couple of hires. Um, but, you know, then as you start specializing, things shift and and mm-hmm. you just have to kind of, I think it was Mike Messersmith who said, like build the organization that you want to be in six months. Try yeah. not to get caught behind um, where you want to be. So this year I hired you know, a head of operations. She was, you know, in innovation at Kodiak Cakes for five years before she came here. And that's because we're going to be really pushing on the innovation pedal, you know, in a year from now. So I want to make sure that we have that person in place so that when we go there, we're really ready and that we build it the right way from the beginning. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's great. And that's helpful to think about, to hear how you, you know, kind of think about building the organization. And I'm also wondering about kind of what, you know, what was your first you know, national retailer launch. I'm not, I, I'm not sure if Whole Foods or Sprouts yeah. was first. And can, can you kind of take Whole Foods was first. Mm-hmm. Can you kind of take us back 
to that time of what you were what you were thinking about then and what oh was what, what you really felt was key or that you wish you could have done differently with a with a national launch like that I mean just to give you some context so we were we started in 14 New York City Whole Foods in 2018 then we went to the region which I think was around 50 53 stores or something like that in 2019 and then we I went to Austin and I met the buyer and we were doing really like our our velocities are very strong which is remained sort of a constant with us. Um, and when you're next to kimchi and sauerkraut, you know, we look like a, a, the bell of the ball. I mean, <laughs> like, you know, we're like doing, you know, I, I mean, like four times the velocity of mm-hmm. some of the products that we're near jackfruit, right? Like yeah. not a ton of people are buying that a lot. So A, they're good. B, they're really good in the context of where we are. So they were eager to, to, make it a global um, product, which was really fun. And we were going to launch a new SKU in conjunction with that. And so we were going on the shelf with, I think it was five um, SKUs. And our reset was the first week of April, 2020, which um, you know what happened. And so, I mean, we had a massive marketing plan. We had, you know, a piggy bank basically of a couple of hundred of thousands of dollars to do key cities, key demographics, key Whole Foods demos. That's how we built it in New York. You know, we demoed the hell out of it because once you taste it, you definitely buy it. It's just getting people over the hump of like, what is that? And what's how, what do I do with it? So um, that was the plan. That was our entire marketing plan. We, that was it. And then, you know, Courtney and I kind of looked at each other and we're like, Oh my gosh, like we're going on to 500 grocery shelves across the country. No one's ever heard of like Haven's Kitchen and they're not even going to be like shopping in person and there are no demos. Like how on earth are, who's going to even know how, why is anyone going to buy this? Um, You know, and we kind of look back and we're like, how, how did we figure it out? Because you know, the story went in the opposite direction. I think, you know, fortunately for us, we were a really good resource for home cooks. And, you know, the product, I think, you know, if you're cooking seven times a week and you're not used to that and you want your salmon to be different from your salmon last night, you're going to look for anything that looks remotely good and healthy (laughs) to put on it. Right. Um, And, you know, we did do some, you know, targeted... Instagram ads and stuff like that. But again, who knows? Because it's really hard to calculate any of that. Um, But we had a lot of word of mouth. We, you know, and I think this goes to, you know, why people talk about like, you know, core than more or, you know, first, you know, build it in your own backyard and, and, and then expand. Like you need to have, you need to have a foundation, you know, that, that's strong when a tornado comes right? And a tornado came hard and everything kind of above ground got blown away. But we had these very firm roots that, that, that were at the heart of like who we were as a brand, how, how we like spoke to our consumer, who that consumer was. We had a really good relationship with Whole Foods already. Like there was a lot that we had done. You know, we had a co-packer that invested in the business, which meant that we were able to produce, you know, they didn't raise our prices when everything went to hell, you know, like there was a lot of groundwork that happened that I think made it all really possible. Um, and some of that was me being, you know, kind of forward thinking and, you know, I'd say the bulk of it was luck, you know? Yeah. Wow. That's, that's interesting. The the timing is, uh, is is just wild. And and now I'd, I'd love if you could tell us too about launching at, at Target, you mentioned 600 Target doors. Yeah. And I also remember you mentioning when you were talking with Paul from Ouroboros on a, mm-hmm. on a recent episode about how- I love that you listen. <laughs> you you were told to expect your velocity to drop kind of mm-hmm. when you go from like whole, a Whole Foods to yeah. a Target, but you haven't experienced that. So I'd love to hear 
you know, right. kind of about, you know, about the target launch. What what was that like kind of from, you know, versus being in more of the the natural channel stores? Yeah. And yeah, just love to hear a little more. So we have experienced that. Like we don't, no store has velocities like Whole Foods. Sprouts actually yeah. is, it does. But, you know, it Sprouts is essentially the same, the same type of store. Um, yeah, I mean... We have experience. We don't have the same velocities in Target that we do in Whole Foods. We just don't have a quarter of the velocity. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, the traditional wisdom was always if you're selling eight units per SKU per store per week at Whole Foods, you cut that in half for a conventional retailer and you cut that in half again for, a, you know, a club or a mass, right? Like, and mm-hmm. um, that sometimes is the case. Sometimes it's not the case. Traditional wisdom sometimes is real. Sometimes it's not. Yeah. <laughs> and it depends again on your category and your price point and everything, right? But um, one thing I do think is important, and this is, you know, when you're just starting, you know, my my team and I joke, like, I'm always like, we're be the dog, you know, let's be the dog. And that's just like, let's not be the tail, right? And what happens is, is like, when you're, when someone is like, I love this, I'll take your product. And but, you know, here's what I need you to pay me and here's what I need you to do. And this is the hoop that I need you to jump through. And then this is the thing I need you to balance on your head. You're just so happy that someone sees something in you, you know, that someone wants it, that you kind of, you're just the tail, right? Like, you're not like, well, here are how many mm-hmm. screws that I need. And here's a, the, what I need from you in terms of support. And here's what I need you to let me do in terms of support, right? Because you, A, don't know that stuff yet. And B, you're just like, you're just trying to get yourself out there and you're trying to get on the shelf. And that makes a lot of sense. The thing about Target is like, you have to be careful with Target um, because they're a great account from a volume perspective and they're a great account from an awareness perspective but they're not a grocery store. And so they've gotten really good at creating a, you know, an innovation pipeline where they bring in young brands and they have a great incubator and, you know, they have a great brand. Um, And it is this sort of like sign of approval and it's amazing. And it does serve more as a marketing channel for a lot of companies than it does as a sales channel. And what I mean by that is that the margin, right? So if you're doing a million dollars in sales from Whole Foods, what do you end up taking home, right? What is the bottom line on that million dollars of sales? It is significantly higher than the bottom line on a million dollars of sales at Target. It doesn't mean it's zero, but it also doesn't mean that it's, you know, whatever percent, it, right? That mm-hmm. Whole Foods ends yeah. up being. And yep. so you have to know that going in and you have to decide, okay, is the awareness and the volume worth it enough to me right now for this margin? And by the way, for some people, it's negative, right? Because they're spending more oh, yeah. than they are making. And that is an unseen you know, hiccup that happens. So it's very exciting when you get a call, you know, it's, I mean, it's similar to Walmart. I would never go into Walmart right now. Right. But they want you, they want innovation. But the thing is for these retailers, you know, I think you and I maybe talked about this, but I like thinking about it as like the 80, 20 rule, right? For these retailers, 80% of that shelf, any shelf has to be something that's just turning. It's margin accretive. It's working for them. It's making them money. 20% is dedicated for, oh, we have these new shoppers or like we have to keep our finger on the pulse or we have to look cool or, you know, we have to keep things interesting and keep people off of Instacart or keep people coming here. So that's the innovation 20%. And the thing about that innovation 20% is it's really cool to be in it, but you have about a year or 18 months to move out of that into margin accretive. And if you don't, then there's always someone right behind you, right? Especially if that someone happens to be a brand that has a lot of venture capital money behind it so they can spend more than you, right? And they don't necessarily have to do the velocity because they're paying for that slot with marketing dollars. And it's just, you don't know that, you know, going in. Fortunately for us, you know, we're again, we're in a good category. We have, you know, two out of our three SKUs outperform pretty much all day, every day at Target. One of them is a little sluggish and we're trying to swap her out for someone who's going to like, you know, Mm -hmm. have more, have more home runs. Um, Mm -hmm. 
but you know, you just have to kind of know what you're getting into with each of these accounts. And, and, and there's always a trade-off, you know, when you get a channel, that's a great sales channel and a great marketing channel, then it's like, ding, ding, ding. You've hit, you know, the pay dirt or whatever the expression is. It's great. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And I had a note, I was like, if Allie doesn't say, be the dog, not the tail at some point, like you've done something wrong as a, as an interviewer. So I'm glad we got it in there. Cause I love that you use that expression. I mean, I always go back to like, you know, when Harry met Sally and she's like, am I the dog in this scenario, yeah. Harry? Like, I'm like, no, we're the tail in this scenario. It's even worse than being the dog. Like you want to be the dog in this scenario, you know, and there, and, and is an emerging brand, like you're going to be the tail a lot of the time. Like my, I'm tap dancing for everyone, right? I, my consumers, my customers, my investors, Mm -hmm. my team, everyone. I'm constantly just trying to get people to see the vision, right? Because it's not there yet. It's like, there's this thing and we're building it and you picture this, you know? Um, But it's all, it's all a vision until, you know, I don't know, six, seven, eight years. Mm -hmm. And even for companies that, you know, maybe hit, you know, had a lot of success direct to consumer and, you know, got sort of over that, you know, five, seven million in sales threshold. Now they have this boulder about building wholesale out that they need to start pushing. It's almost like they're, they're starting a whole new business. You know, they Mm -hmm. have really good brand awareness. They have recognition. They have a lot of the kinks worked out. So they're, you know, they're in a good position to do it, but you know, it's um everything's a decision and everything should have a reason. Why am I doing this? What is the purpose here? It doesn't have to be because it makes us money, but if it doesn't make us money, is it the best way to use my money? Right? Is mm-hmm. it the best way to use my resources? Is it the best way to spend our time? It's like what yeah. we were talking about with trade shows before, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I'm also wondering about because social nature is a is a partner that we we have mm. at Startup CPG. And I that's how I discovered Haven's Kitchen was social nature. Mm. I'm in their community. Um, we've had Analia and Jessica I love on that, the show. By the way. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that's you know, great. and I, I went and used my coupon and and uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think I can't remember which sauce I got that time because it, you know, then I became a, a fan. Um right. But, uh, but you know, that it, it's such an interesting program and a lot of members of our community are, you know, thinking about, you know, what should I, you know, should I do a campaign like that? So I'm curious, you know, mm-hmm. for, for you all, you know, what was, what did that look like to run a campaign with social nature? Did you find a lot of, you know, value in discovering it when, you know, in the past yeah. you talked about using, you know, in-person demos and this is mm-hmm. another way to drive trial Um, but you know, people have to go and then take it home and taste it. So I, am curious about the experience. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I want to just give the full disclosure that I am a massive fan of social nature and I love Analea. And so I sound like I've been paid, which (laughs) I have not. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I sound the same whenever, whenever her Jessica come on the show, I'm like, I swear I haven't been paid to talk about social nature. I just, I'm a big fan. (laughs) And then going back to, you know, that uh oh moment when we're like, wait, we're going to be on like Sacramento and Salt Lake City and like Schenectady shelves or whatever it is. And like, how is this going to move? How is anyone going to know what this is or what to do with it? I mean, we were just like at a loss. And the thing about social nature is that, again, it really depends on your product, right? How easy is it to sample and store, right? Like we are not going back to the old um, demoing model because of oh, social nature. Wow. But if, if we were a soda, right? We might because you just yeah. pour it in a cup and you drink it or a cookie or, you know, so again, it really, everything's very category dependent. But for us going back to that sort of like, uh oh moment, we're like, how are we, we know one thing when people try this, because, you know, we were in Instagram asking questions. We were at the cooking school asking questions. You know, we cumulatively did like I don't know, thousands of demos, right? In New York and the Northeast. So we knew that once people tasted this and if they were given just a little bit of a prompt, you can put it on salmon, you can put it on roast potatoes, you can toss it with noodles, that they bought it. And 
we had a hunch just from the velocities because we weren't really building awareness that they were buying it again and again and again. So what we know is that the job for us is to get people to try the sauce in conjunction with giving them tips and tricks for how to use it and how it makes their cooking easier. So social nature is this perfect way, right, to get people to try the sauce But it was also a really nice way to get those velocities in those new doors there. You know, I'd never met the buyers because I was supposed to meet them. And then the pandemic happened. Um, How do we just immediately start moving off of these shelves in these new demographics? You know, how do we get um, get some feedback? So, you know, I think we have 8000 some odd Uh, reviews on our website for a non-direct-to-consumer company to have that many reviews is huge. Those reviews can get syndicated to Mm target.com. They can get syndicated anywhere, right? So, and we know reviews are just like another A piece of content, but also really good from an SEO perspective. And, you know, again, another data point for someone who's, should I buy this thing for $6.99 or $5.99? I don't know. Like I've never tried it. What if I don't like it? Right. So the reviews were a big part of it. Obviously the velocity was a big part of it. Obviously like, you know, just getting it into people's hands was a part of it. And our bet was that if people tried it, though, that the cost of acquiring that social nature customer, you are a good case in point, you're going to go back and you're going to buy it again. And if you bought chimichurri with your first one, you might go back and try the gingery miso because now you've built some connection to the brand. You know, it's it's a win, 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 win as far as I'm concerned. Um, and then the biggest part of it is, you know, if you're out there doing demos, you're not getting any of that consumer's, you know, information. You don't know anything about them. You don't know what else is in their basket unless you're like creeping and like looking, right? So, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're asking questions. We're getting so much good information because the social nature, you know, community is filling out a pre-buying survey and a post-buying survey. So we're asking questions like, what else do you shop for? How often do you cook? What are you looking for from, you know, when you ask for cooking help? Is it the actual recipes or is it shortcuts? Or, you know, we're able to really hone in on like, what does our consumer need? Not just from the product, um, you know, but from us as a is a platform for home cooking. And then, you know, even when I interviewed um, Jake from Sweet Nothings, you know, what they got out of their social nature consumer information was, how do you use this? You know, they were merchandising next to the ice cream and people weren't happy because they were like, it doesn't taste like ice cream. It, it's, oh. it's just, it's like, it's not sweet at all. And so what they learned from their social nature research was people were using this instead of buying frozen fruit to make a smoothie because they needed a smoothie on the run. So they use that data to go to their retailers and say, put us next to the frozen fruit, not in the better for you ice creams. And velocities went like completely gangbusters. So you're, it's like, again, you can use it in so many ways, but like anything else, you have to extract the information that you want out of all of these things. And if something has like a dual purpose, like in this case, would it be good enough to just do it as a sampling program? It might be a little expensive to just do as a sampling program, but we're using it as like three other things that drive the business forward, including like, hey, you know, Kroger buyer, give us a secondary placement next to the salmon, because guess what? That's the number three thing in our customers' baskets, right? That's huge. Yeah. Wow. No, that's that's so interesting. And, and thank you for sharing about that, because that's that's super helpful. You can tell I get very, very excited. I heard my voice. I love like, it. Getting, <laughs> get to this, I like, love it. I yeah. love it. I, get, I, I definitely, I was like, oh, I definitely want to ask about this, because like I said, it's how I discovered you. So that's that's so cool. And I'd also love, you recently joined our startup CPG Slack community. Yes. And what I would an love to kind of hear like, you know, ha, you know, what do you think so far? I've seen you in there, you know, interacting with people, but would just kind of, you know, love to hear your thoughts. 
Well, first of all, I'd like to apologize for not replying in the thread. I got a little, (laughs) someone was like, hey, thank you for your comment. Can you put it in the thread? I'm like, yeah, totally sorry. Like, I'm still not good at that. So I apologize to those, you know, in the (laughs) community. But I, I mean, what an incredible resource you've created. What an incredible, I mean, if this had existed in 2018, for sure, I would not have started my podcast. But not only that, but I mean, so much struggle would have been taken out of this, you know? I mm-hmm. mean, I this is such an incredible industry and there's so many people that, you know, there are a lot of blowhards. There really are. There are a lot of people that are like, look at me, this is my personal platform. I'm a brand and yay me. But, you know, that's a minority, I think, in in the grand scheme of things. I think mm-hmm. most people in this industry are, you know, want to support, want to collaborate, want to share information. We all are sort of like karma believers, you know, we all want to do right by other brands. And, you know, we're going in and we're making sure they look just as nice on the shelves as our products do. And we're rooting for each other. So, mm-hmm. you know, the ability to have one place that's a hub where you can say like anyone know a co-packer that specializes in, you know, white chocolate right? Like, and get six answers. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. I mean, my hunt for my co-packer looked absolutely nothing like that. And there are also people in this industry who are willing to help you find that information, but either want to take a percentage of your business or they want a huge retainer. And Mm -hmm. and we can't afford any of that when we're just starting out and nor should you be paying anyone that much because it's offensive. So, you know, this is all just great. The one thing that Mm -hmm. I would say that I, that I think you said when I interviewed you that I thought was really, really good advice is the more specific and the clearer you can be in your question, not, hey, do you mind talking for 15 minutes about your experience with XYZ? But hi, I'm deciding between this and this. Can you please weigh in? You know, or Mm -hmm. not anyone know a co-packer, but anyone know a co-packer who can do XYZ in XYZ time that's on the East Coast? Yes. That's a much more that's going to, I think, yield a better result because everyone in there, my understanding is, is also doing a full time job trying to build a business. So, you know, it can be a little overwhelming, I think, um, to have that many people asking that many questions. And I think my my hunch is that the more specific you get, the more your um, rate of being answered is. If that for sure. Yeah. yeah, no, that's yeah, that's I think that's very true. And just the quality of the responses you get and, you know, the faster that everyone can move after that is is uh, because they're like, oh, yeah, I need a 3PL in New York that does Frozen. Here's a 3PL right. that does New York and Frozen. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Everyone, you know, everyone moves along on their way. Well, I'm, I'm so yeah. glad you're in the community. It's Thank really you. been really great to have you in there. And yeah, it's just in there too. Oh, that's amazing. It's Daniel and uh, and Patty on the Startup CPG team have done such an amazing job, you know, building and managing the group. And so it's it's really cool to just continue to to see it grow. And, you know, if we've got any listeners that aren't in there yet, we definitely, you know, always, always love seeing people listen to the podcast and then end up, end up in the Slack. Yeah. I mean, it's an incredible resource. It, it's just, it's, I, I, I mean, it's like amazing to think that it exists, honestly. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. And well, I'd love to kind of, you know, one of the final questions I want to ask you, and you've, you've mentioned a few along the way, but are there any, you know, there's so much that you have to shift, sift through information that you're sifting through and different polls in different directions. And I'm wondering if there's, you know, a question or two that really help guide you when, you know, you've, when maybe you've gotten some really tough news or you only have so much budget and you got to choose between two things that, you know, seem like both are going to be a really good solution. Are there questions that kind of help guide you in those super tough moments as as you've navigated building Haven's Kitchen? Yeah, I mean, I think there are two things. One is, you know, on the how do I respond when something happens, right? There's a, and it's what I do in my life too. I have five kids. I have, I've like, you know, a lot of people that I'm responsible for in my life and there's always going to be something happening. And the question is, is this a short-term problem or is this a long-term problem, right? Because automatically that frames most of the stuff that flares up is a short-term problem, right? 
there are some things that could be short-term and if you're not careful, they turn into long-term. So that's where you have to be a little careful. But if it's a short-term problem, then that means that I don't have to get, um, you know, my amygdala doesn't have to super fire up, but I can use my frontal lobe and just Mm -hmm. say like, okay, this is, this is a short-term thing. How do I make it how do I mitigate it, right? Going back to what Zach said to me, like you're never gonna have supply and demand line up. So you're going to always have, you're gonna have a month where you overproduce and you have to dispose or you have to sell it at a terrible margin. That is going to happen. There's no business where it doesn't happen. So is that a long-term problem? No, that's a short-term scenario that I need to solve for. And knowing that it's going to happen, my job is to figure out a couple of different ways when that happens, because inevitably it will, here's how I'm going to deal with it, right? So that I'm the dog, (laughs) right? And if it's a long-term problem, then okay, that means that there's something broken in the system, right? So that means that I have to go back and be like, all right, I, I put a puzzle piece in the wrong spot here. There's there's not enough edges. So something's clearly wrong. And that's when you go back and you go and you look at the margins and you look at the costs and you look at your, you know, who, who your customers are and how much are you losing at each thing and which thing is worth it. And everyone on the team, are they pushing this boulder up the hill? Like that's when you go back and you kind of soul search, right? And that can be painful and, you know, it's not fun, um, but it sometimes is necessary. And then you shift it from a long-term into a Mm short-term and then you figure out, okay, here's what I'm going to do. But Um, you know, I think the other thing is going back to just like, you know, I spoke to someone on the phone the other day and they were like, well, you know, I said something about there are a lot of ingredients in, in this. And, you know, they were like, well, yeah, but you know, that's what makes us so great. And, you know, I'm looking a few years ahead and I'm like, which ones of these ingredients are going to be hard to find? Which ones of these ingredients are you going to have to spot by for the next 10 years? Cause you can't get a contract because you, you don't have enough in your recipe would the consumer care if there was one fewer types of nut, right? Like, is that necessary? And those things are, the earlier that you start looking at them, they're not things that affect the integrity of your product. They don't take away from the quality, but they just, they 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 serve to mitigate pain points that could come later down the road. And the thing about building something from scratch is you don't even know what you don't know, right? So you don't even know what questions to ask or where to look. but you can start with your margins, you know, you can, you can start with your cost of goods. There's a fundamental misunderstanding that somehow if you scale and you build enough volume that margins get better, that is not true, right? That can happen sometimes with some ingredients, but the amount that you need to buy is a lot. Yes. So if you're not making, you know, I mean, a 40% gross margin, or you don't have a very clear path to it, you're going to run into some problems, right? And so, and that, that's including trade. So you have a, you have a problem in the infrastructure and it doesn't mean it's an insurmountable problem. It just means that that requires attention, you know? And so there are things like that that come up and they hopefully don't catch you too much by surprise by year three or four or five. But for sure at the beginning, you want to build something really strong because there will be a storm. There always is. That is something you can count on. Yeah. No, that, that's super helpful to to hear those questions. And yeah, that's that's great. And, you know, well, I definitely hope that, you know, I'll include the links in the show notes, but definitely, you know, uh, listeners can go to havenskitchen.com. They should follow you on Instagram Don't at Haven's Kitchen. <laughs> yeah. And go to the store locator. Yeah. Go to the store locator. Find your local store. Exactly. And get all the recipes on the on online. Yes. Use our website for the 400 recipes and to decide what you want to make and to make yourself a shopping list that you can text to your phone, but buy us in store. <laughs> yes. Perfect. And you know, and then, you know, catch catch Allie on the mic at the In the Sauce podcast. And, you know, this has just been so great. Allie, it's so great to have you and chat with you. Uh, so thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much, Jesse. And, you know, everyone listening, we're all in it. It doesn't, you know, it's, we're all in it. <laughs> I talked to someone who's running a, you know, $150 million company the other day, and he was just like head in his hands, like, oh, you mm-hmm. know, and I was like, I thought it got easier. He's like, uh, you know, yeah. 
Um, it's, it's just, you know, little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. So, you know, it's, it, we need to take care of ourselves and we need to lean on each other. And someone like you, who's just providing support and resources is, um, a a real gift to the community. So thank you. Yeah. Same, same to you. I think, you know, we're, we're on the, we have the the same fundamental, you know, beliefs of trying to get, get information access to people and and do this as a team and as a community. So I love that. And so glad you were here today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening in today. I'm so honored you joined me for this conversation. And I love hearing from you all with feedback, suggestions, or if you just want to say hi at podcast at startupcpg.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn. If you liked this episode, we'd love for you to share it with a friend or colleague. Subscribe so you don't miss future episodes and maybe even leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you aren't yet in our Slack community of founders and experts, we'd love to see you there. You can get the free invite at startupcpg.com and find all our other awesome resources there like webinars, databases, the blog, the magazine, and virtual and in-person events. And if you found yourself rocking out to our intro and outro music, which I do every single time, make sure to check out the Super Fantastics on Spotify. It's the band of our startup CPG founder, Daniel Scharf. I'm Jesse Freitag, your host and producer. And on behalf of the whole team at Startup CPG, thank you for being here and see you next week.